beautiful but deadly. Where the beauty of makeup meets the horror of true crime with Chuck and Liz. So, today, for this episode, it's my case. Yup, and I have literally no idea what it is. She wouldn't tell me. Mm-mm. So I'm very excited. And then, what are you going to talk about? Oh, I think the new ColourPop that's launching. Why are you whispering? I don't know. Podcast. I'm sorry. I was just... I don't know. ASMR on the brain after we talked about some yeah, ASMR right. drama. Okay. So the trigger warnings for this uh, episode. You gotta start doing those for yours. Fuck. I never even think about it. Okay. God damn it, Liz. Trigger warning drug abuse, alcohol abuse, murder, and mentions of suicide and sexual assault on a minor. Fuck. <sighs> and that's the end of the case. <laughs> <laughs> Our story starts with Norma. Norma was born June 1st, 1926 in Los Angeles, California. Her mother was named Gladys. Her mom was from a poor family in the Midwest who had moved to California. Norma's father's identity was never confirmed, and even she didn't have a definitive answer as to who her father was. Sadly, Gladys couldn't be the mother that Norma needed since she had struggled with mental illness her whole life and was later diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Once Gladys got the diagnosis, Norma was officially taken away from her and put into foster care. Simply because she had schizophrenia? Well, I mean, it was the 20s. I'll take that back. I retract that I'm statement. I'm proud they didn't just put her in a hospital with, like, hysteria. Yeah. Throughout the rest of Norma's and Glass's life, they rarely spoke. They were not close at all. And unfortunately, Norma had to spend most of her life in orphanages and foster homes until she got married at the age of 16 to a sailor. Oh, wow. That's young. You understand once we get to, like, why they got married. Okay. While in foster care, she was abused by her caretakers. During the first six months of her being in foster care, she stayed with the Atkinson family, and it was during this time she was sexually abused. Norma was always shy, but after that, she became withdrawn and developed a stutter. In 1935, she stayed with Grace and Doc Goddard. Grace was actually a friend of Gladys's, so this was more familiar to Norma than, like, a random foster home. Well, that's good. Um, Weirdly enough, the Goddards lived with two other families, and Norma had just stayed with them for the summer, so it wasn't, like, an official adoption or anything. Okay. Uh, And then after the summer, she was placed into another another orphanage. Um, after encouragement from the staff at that orphanage, Grace had officially become Norma's guardian in 1935. That's good. This, this seems like this could be Norma's, my thought was forever family, but she's not like an adopted she's animal. Dog. But I don't know, I didn't know what else to say, like her, yeah, her adopted family. Yeah, but like it seemed like this one would stick. Okay, fair. And it really did seem like that until Doc, Grace's husband, started molesting her. Oh, for fuck's sake. She then went to house to house until her marriage. So this is where it gets very messy. Oh, God. Norma stayed with Grace's aunt in 1938 and stayed with her until 1941. The aunt had developed health issues due to her age, and Norma had to leave again and ended up living with the Goddards again. She eventually settled into this home again and even started going to the local high school. In 1942, Doc Goddard's employer wanted him to relocate to West Virginia, but California's Child Protective Services said he wasn't allowed to take Norma out of state. Okay. So Norma, being desperate to, you know, kind of be free and do what she wants, married her next-door neighbor, who was 21 at the time. 
James Doherty was a factory worker, and Norma later says that the pair were mismatched as she was born in their marriage. But from all accounts, he seemed like a good guy. You know? That's a good list. James enlisted in the Marines and was stationed in Santa Catalina Island, and Norma went with him. After being married, she began being a housewife full-time, and she actually never finished high school. Really? Yup. Damn. Uh, she started working in a factory during World War II, and during that time, she met a photographer and started her pinup career. She then went on to be an actress and even got signed to an agency. And to go into this new venture, she even dyed her hair blonde. She was trying to get the whole Hollywood kind of look, you know? 100%. The whole 1940s pinup girl look. And I'm Who sure doesn't want that? she was trying to, like, almost start a new life. It's like when you have a breakup and you, like, get a new haircut, except it's, like, a whole new life. You can stop calling me out now. Did you do that? Yeah. Yeah, I cut my hair and I got highlights. <laughs> I hope you guys can hear me whistling. <laughs> she had a minor scandal early-ish into her career when it was found out that she had taken nude photos. But surprisingly enough, this didn't really have a negative effect on her career. I mean, that's good. Yeah. Surprisingly progressive for the time, but... So who is Norma, really? She's very intelligent and had her own personal library that she would read through. A friend of hers at the time, Ella, said that she was ahead of her time and didn't even know it. She's very progressive for her time. Growing up, she had stayed with one foster family, the Blanders, and she quite liked them. The Blanders and her lived in Watts, and most of the people and families there are African-American and or Black. Uh, and it's speculated that this early close connection to people of other races and her understanding of being in poverty led her to being who she was as an adult, where she would often speak out her support for the civil rights movement and donated to charities. Wow. That's kind of surprising. Really? That she would speak out? Only because if you were, like, going to speak out during that time, I'm sure it was frowned upon. You would definitely not have followers. Um, I read somewhere that she would, like, not perform certain places if Ella couldn't go in and things like that. See, Frank Sinatra would do that, too, yeah. with Sammy. It's, like, it's sad that you had to have a white person be like, listen. Right? This is fucked up. Um, she also loved acting and the art of acting. So mm-hmm. even when she was having work and doing work, she would still take classes. And it seemed like she appreciated it as an art form rather than any kind of, like, mode to stardom. See, the funny thing is that I've, like, learned recently. Like, when I think about acting, I'm like, oh, you read the script, you memorize the lines, and you just, like, deliver it. But I listen to, like, the Office Ladies podcast, and they talk about what it's actually like to, like, be an actor and, like, getting into character and, like, all these different things. They would, like, you know, come up with stories for themselves of, like, what is my character like? What are they doing? And I was What's like, their backstory? I never would have thought about that. It's like I think it's really cool. With every role, you and whoever wrote it, like the actor and whoever wrote it, have to create this whole new person. Yeah. And give them all of the things that make someone human, like their motivations, their fears, the how, what, when, where, exactly. why. Exactly. It's really cool. I could not do that. No. I, I barely know either. who I am. Oh my god. Um, in the early 1950s, cracks started to show in Norma, and her mental health was on a decline. By 1953, Norma had become very difficult to work with. She would show up late, if she showed up at all, 
demanded several retakes if she was unsatisfied with her performance. Mary Stanley Cooper. Cooper? <laughs> yeah. And she wouldn't remember her lines. These problems were thought to have been caused by a combination of low self-esteem, stage fright, and perfectionism. Okay, I was going to ask if she had, like, um, a mental illness like her mother did. Yeah, and she we'll did. talk about that a little bit. Okay. During and after this time, she began to take barbiturates, amphetamines, and alcohol to alleviate her anxiety and insomnia. Well, that's not going to help. This also made her problems worse, though. Uh, it should be noted here, though, that she didn't become severely addicted to barbiturates and alcohol until 1956. Uh, in 1955, she began to undergo psychoanalysis, which is like kind of like therapy. Also, in 1955, she began dating a man named Arthur. Their relationship became quite serious, and her studio began urging her to end the relationship. Arthur was being investigated by the FBI for allegations of... Would you like to guess what? Ooh, tax evasion. Oh, something even worse. Something so horrible. What? Communism. Oh, no. The communism panic. Here it is. <laughs> and he was being subpoenaed by the House of American Activities Committee. But Norma refused to break it off with him. And this relationship led to the FBI opening a file on her. Interesting. On June 29th, Norma and Arthur got married in New York, in a New York country court, and later had a Jewish ceremony. During the marriage, Norma conver- converted to Judaism so they could get married. Essentially. And a lot of people contribute her social work and a lot of her being openly progressive to Arthur. Really? Yeah. Was he, like, particularly, like, oh, yeah. progressive? Yeah. Hence why people were like, communism! Okay, fair. In 1956, she had an ectopic pregnancy and a year later suffered a miscarriage. That is one of my biggest fears. I saw in a few um, sources that she suffered many miscarriages. Oh, that's awful. Um, and it was because, well, it's believed to have been because of her endometriosis. Oh, okay. During this time, she was also ho- hospitalized because of a because of a barbiturate overdose. Damn. By 1960, her and Arthur's marriage was basically over. Like she was already seeing other people. Oh wow. Yeah. She also had health struggles in 1960. She suffered from a horrifically painful gallstone. Her drug addiction became so severe, and her drug addiction became so severe, her makeup artist had to do her makeup while Norma was still asleep under the influence of barbiturates. Holy shit. She was filming a movie at the time, and the production was halted so she could detox in a hospital. After this, Arthur and her officially became divorced. During the first six months of 1961, she was dealing with more health issues. She had her gallbladder removed, surgery for her endometriosis, and was hospitalized for depression. Wow. She then went on to have a kind of, like, relationship thingy-bob, you know, with a man named Frank, who will come back later. So remember Frank. Okay. After being a bit of a floater, she finally resettled in California and and bought a home for herself in 1962. I have, like, no reason to say this or anything to, like, Back this up. But, like, do you know who she reminds me of? If you had to guess. It's a character. Character? Beth Harmon. Oh. Right? Yeah. I get a little bit of those vibes from Queen's Gambit. If you haven't seen that, you definitely should. And she wasn't completely alone in the house. She had a housekeeper named Eunice Murray who would stay over sometimes, just stay over for the night. 
On August 4th, Eunice stayed the night and in the early morning hours awoke because she just had a really bad feeling. Oh, that's never good. Mm -mm. So she checked on Norma and found the light was on in Norma's room, but the door was locked and she was getting no response from inside. Oh, God. Eunice first called Norma's psychologist, who soon arrived at the home and broke in through a window to find Norma dead in her bed. Fuck. Her physician arrived at her home at 3.50 a.m. and pronounced her dead. At 4.25, they notified the LAPD. It was determined Norma died between 8.30 and 10.30 on August 4th. The toxicology report came back showing her cause of death was acute barbiturate poisoning. This makes sense, with empty pill bottles being found next to her on the bed. There was a possibility she had accidentally overdosed, but that was ruled out because she had many times the lethal dose of barbiturates found in her system. Okay, see, I was going to ask that if it was possible she accidentally did it. The death was ruled a suicide due to her having suffered mental issues and overdosing before, as well as there being no evidence of foul play. Oh, she had overdosed before? Yeah. Oh, that's right, you said that she went to the hospital. Okay. Now there is still speculation to this day surrounding her death, and a key player uh, is typically brought up when talking about her death that I haven't brought up yet. Okay. There's this guy, John, who was rumored to be having an affair with Norma, since both of them were married at this time. Okay. Some believe that they were having a salacious affair, and others believe that they never met. The truth is somewhere in the middle. There are only a few times the two could have met publicly, like, as far as the public knows. Yeah. The first was during an event in 1957, but both were with their spouses at the time. I don't think this really mattered, because both had a reputation that kind of came out. That they both were cheaters. Yeah. And, like, John would try to get with anything that walked. Some people like that. Facts. Um, in 1961, it was rumored that they attended the same dinner party in Santa Monica. This party was being hosted by a, name named Pete, a man named Peter. Peter was married to John's sister, and Peter was close friends to Norma. Okay. The most plausible time they could have met was in 1962. They had both gone to a friend's house in Palm Springs. A close friend of Norma says that they had talked while she was on the party, like on a phone, and he had heard John's voice in the background. Norma had called this friend Ralph because he was a masseuse and she wanted pointers on how to give like a massage. Interesting. <laughs> and weirdly enough, John was known to be having back problems at the time. Interesting. Also, the friend says that he even talked to John during the call at one point. Huh. The last time they were publicly seen together was at John's birthday. Less than three months later, she would be dead. And one year later, John would be dead as well. Dun-dun-dun! Now we are going to be talking about another woman's story. Dorothy was born in 1913 in Chicago. Her parents were both writers. And six years later, they gave birth to a little sister, Eleanor. The family moved around for a bit before settling in New York City in 1920. Dorothy's father, James, was offered a job, a job as a roaming correspondent. Dorothy initially went to college at the College of New Rochelle, Rochelle? New Rochelle, New Rochelle, but dropped out to take a job as a reporter. In 1936, she competed with two other reporters in a race around the world. The catch was that the writers could only use transportation available to the general public. She was the first woman to finish, and she came in second overall. In November 1938, she began writing a daily column in the New York Journal American. The no. column was mostly about business news and gossip, you know, with the, with the stars at the time. Okay. Um, the column was mostly about 
business news and gossip also went into darker topics like organized crime and politics. In 1940, she got married to Richard Calmer, and they went on to have three kids. Jill was born in 1941, Richard was born in 1943, and Carrie was born in 1954. And they remained happily married for the whole of Dorothy's life. Oh, wow. Okay. It seemed like there were no issues. Um, both were very career-oriented and successful, but they were passionate for each other as well, and they made time for each other. Wow. That was nice. Right? In 1945, they even started a radio show together, which mixed entertainment uh, news with serious dark issues. That's the cool. show lasted until 1963. And she had even attended Queen Elizabeth II's coronation in 1953. Wow. That's really cool. How are these two women connected? Well, the first connection is through Frank. Dorothy was actually good friends with Frank, who Norma had a thing with at one time. Dorothy and Frank had a falling out, though, in 1956, when she wrote an article about him. Oh, interesting. Can you say what the article is about or not yet? No. Okay. Uh, and afterwards, he started making derogatory comments about her appearance, but he's kind of being a little bitch. Because he would say it, like, in front of people, but he wouldn't go to, like, the presses or anything about it. Oh, my God. That's going to kill me for saying that. <laughs> um, I would also like to say here that Dorothy was a bad bitch. Really? Yes. She took nothing from no one and said and did what she wanted, even if it was against public opinion. Ooh. In 1954, she covered the murder trial of Sam Shepard. Shepard was a doctor who was convicted of killing his wife in their home. But Dorothy argued that there were serious flaws in the prosecution's case. Oh. Nine years after this, she was at an event and claimed that the judge presiding over the case told her, the jury, told her before the jury selection that Shepard was, quote, guilty as hell. So before the oh, trial had even started, no. the judge had decided that Shepard was guilty. And she had waited nine years and, like, so long to say it because essentially the judge died. So as soon as the judge died, she was like, hey, hey guess what? Separately, an attorney named F. Lee Bailey was working on a habeas corpus petition for Shepard. I never knew that actually happens. Habeas corpus? Oh, yeah. He had happened to attend the same event where Dorothy announced this and asked her privately to help him and Shepard. Dorothy gave a, disp a disposition that was then added to the petition. In 1964, four months after this event, Sam Shepard's habeas corpus petition was granted and he was released from prison. Interesting. This brings us to November 1963, when Norma's potential affair partner died. Potential affair partner? Uh, yes, okay. John was shot dead in front of many witnesses. What muddies this case is that the man blamed for John's murder was killed by another man. Yes. Dorothy had attended the man's trial, the uh, second murderer. <laughs> um trial and got a copy of his testimony. She then published the testimony in 1964 before it was made public by anyone else. Oh. Dorothy was skeptical of the conclusions drawn from the case and wrote articles about it. Even after this, she continued to dig into John's murder. On November 8, 1965, she was found dead in her townhouse. Her death was caused by a fatal combination of barbiturates and alcohol. It's kind of weird how she died in the same way Norma did. And what makes this even weirder is that she publicly questioned Norma's death as well. <gasps> and she didn't have a drug problem, right? No. And wasn't suicidal, so America explained. Thank you. Now, this is a two-parter because I wanted to lay the groundwork of who the key players are, and I want to see what was proven to have happened. Okay. 
In the next part, I will talk about what people speculate to have happened. Also, before I end my segment, I have to be honest. I have told you the full story as I know it, but I held back some key information. You may have listened to me telling the story. I think this is a brand new case and new information, though some of it, and like some of it might be new information to you, but I guarantee you know Norma. You may know her by her more popular name, Marilyn Monroe. In part two, I will attempt to dive further into Marilyn's connections with Frank Sinatra, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, and reported Dorothy Kilgallen. I hope you all guys enjoyed and come back next week to hear my thoughts on what I think really happened. Who really killed Marilyn, who really killed President Kennedy, and who really killed Dorothy Kilgallen. Okay, yes, yeah, so the new collection I'm talking about is the Animal Crossing ColourPop collection. I love Animal Crossing, so when I saw this, I was like, what are they doing to me? I'm gonna have to have it now. So, first off, packaging, adorable. Has, like, all of the characters on it and everything from Animal Crossing. Um, and I will tell you what is in this collection. So, there's the Nook Ink palette. There's a Five Star Island palette. LaBelle of the Ball palette. What a Hoop palette. Fruit Basket Lip Tint Duo. Fruit Roots Lip Tint Duo. Pick of the Bunch Lip Tint Duo. Flower Power Blush. Flower Tender Blush. Balloon Pop Super Shock Shadow and Bellionaire Glitterly Obsessed. That was a lot to say. I can't expect much things how it's like barely English. <laughs> it's like on the cusp of being just English. Oh, it's fine. So there's four different eyeshadow palettes, and it's a um, they're quad palettes. One of them has like like browns, like a tan, and then two like glitters right you would say those are like glitter yeah it's um, like a nude palette okay fair enough and then there's one that has like some pinks and then a yellow which kind of throws me off i think it's supposed to be like <clears throat> flowers okay fair i could i could see it being pretty where like you could put the yellow on your very inner corner and then that's true it kind of reminds me of like a lemonade yeah uh and then there's one that has like Greenish blues. Like a mint. Okay, fair. And then a purple one. And then for the blushes, there's like a peach one and then more of like a really bright pink. Uh, And it looks like there's going to be, I'm sure that I read it out, but there's one super shock shadow and one that looks like uh, one of the ones from the Sailor Moon palette or the Sailor Moon um, collection. Yeah, the jelly glitter, which goes on real nice for anyone who's wondering. But this one's gold. And then the lip tint duos, they look really nice. There's like a red, a berry. What would you say the other four are? Um, a red, a berry. There's more of like a brown nude with a darker brown and a lighter brown. And then the middle ones, it looks like they're more of an orange. They're kind of cut off oh, from the photo, but they look more peach toned and slightly orange. Yeah, the this collection hasn't dropped yet. It's dropping on the twenty eighth of January, and then it'll be at Ulta on the fourteenth of February. I mean, you describe the packaging. Okay, yeah. So the packaging for the palettes. One of them has um. Fuck. Blathers. Thank you. I couldn't think of the fucking name for a second. Blathers, and then his female counterpart, which I don't remember her name. Celeste. Blatherina. Oh my god! I think it's Celeste. Or something like that. And then there's Isabel on one of them. Um, and then one of them has Tom Nook and 
Fuck, why am I forgetting their names now? Oh my god, it just keeps... I gave you the one name I knew. Um, so Tom Nook and then the two other little raccoons. And then there's um, Mabel and her other two sisters on one of them. And all of the eyeshadow palettes have, like, mirrors in them, too. They're really cute. Yeah, in the nude one, there's one of the little owls on each corner. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the Isabella one, she's in the lower right corner. For Tom Nook? Tim Nook? Tom Nook. Tom Nook, he's in the upper right corner. And then the two little guys are in the lower left. And then Mabel Mm -hmm. is in the top right corner. And the other two are in the bottom left. Yeah, and then the... Two blushes have, like, flowery designs on them. But they're, like, in the style of Animal Crossing. Yes. Thank you. So you're so much better at getting things across than I am. Uh, and the Super Shock Shadow has a leaf on the cover. And then the uh, Jelly Glitter has a star on the cover. And then the Lip Tints have, like, Animal Crossing written on the side. And what I quite like is that they have the shade at the bottom. So it'll be easy to pick out what shade you want without having to open the tube. Yeah, I like that. And they look like crayons almost. Yeah, I like ones, but I like that. And I just want to know where they got the teeny tiny fish hook that's in the uh Oh, yeah, it's photo. really cute, the fishing pole. Uh, okay. Um, just in case, I don't know how much time you want me to pick up. It, what is that? Colourpop, yeah, yeah, that's what I was talking about. Oh, these ones. Okay. <clears throat> So these, uh, there's another, I guess you'd call it a collection. Yeah. That dropped. Um, and they are eyeshadow palettes that have five eyeshadows in them. What would you call that? A pentacle. A pentacle? A pentagram. <laughs> it's a pentagram. Oh, my God. Um, and, like, the outside packaging is beautiful. It almost reminds me of, this might be very specific, but, like, Rome. Oh, it reminds me of which stores. Interesting. Like, if someone had that that as, like, their sign outside, it'd be like, they not only have witch hazel, but they also probably have, like, water frog and quartz. I don't know. I get Rome vibes. I don't know why. But, okay. So, I'll go over the palette names. There's Cherish, which has, like, like some nudes, kind of. That was a good description. There's a brown. There's a tan. There's That's like not a, brown. This isn't brown? No. It's like burgundy. It's like, a, it's like a very red-toned brown. That one? Yes. That's brown. Okay, a very red-toned brown. <laughs> it's fucking red. red. Oh, my God. The second one is like a wine red. Yeah, I would give you that. Um, so, I'm trying to see. Okay, so... Some of them have, wow, some of them have a lot of, like, shimmers in them. You didn't finish the first one. Well, yeah, because I was just looking. I was going to say, oh, there's two shimmers in this one. And then I was going to see if I could say that about all of them. But no, some of them have two, some of them have three, and some of them have, or one of them has four shimmers and only one matte. So I don't know how you make that one work. But, okay, so that was, the first one I talked about was Cherish. And then the second one. You didn't finish talking about the color. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so the second one is like a wine red. <laughs> I thought you were just going to keep going. Ah, yes, the second palette is. <laughs> okay, and then the third one in is like, kind of also like a wine red, but it's shimmery. A glitter. 
You're so bad at describing things. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary folks, she described the fall on our stars as a love story. It is. At the base, it is. And then the fourth one in is, what, like a beige, I guess? Yeah. And then the last one is like a pinky glitter. I feel like you would describe Jurassic Park as Jeff Goldblum's movie. That is. He's a star of that show. <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree. Okay, then. He's a dinosaur doctor. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, okay. So then the next palette is called Crush. What? I thought you were saying something. I thought you had some shit to say, maybe. Okay, I'll just <laughs> shove it in my mouth. Okay. Uh, so this one has a lighter brown. I say it's more like a what, like a dirt, like a dirt kind of brown. Your thumb is perfectly over the colors. Don't look at it. Yeah. And then the next one after that reminds me of the color buck from the uh, nude palette, the naked palette. Yes, I would give you that. Uh, this one has. One that's more of like a, I would say like more of a shimmer than like having pieces of glitter in it. And then the other one is like a glitter. What do you think? I think I would need my glasses to be able to see completely. Fuck. <laughs> and then there's like a, like an orangey tan and then a white. Or more like a, like an off-white. A cream maybe? An crew Fair. And then the next palette is called Lyric. And that one has like a more like a purple toned brown, and then a glittery gold, a glittery more like silver gold, a tan, and then a shimmery. What would you say that is? Champagne. A champagne. Okay. The second to last color, the brown, is more of like a khaki kind of brown. Okay. Uh, and then the fourth one is a more. And it's mostly purples in the palette, except for the last one is more of like a... What kind of color would you say that is? I'd say another nude color, but it's a cool, lighter brown. Okay. But like very light. And that one has two like glitters and one more like shimmer. And the last one is called Ballad. Um, a more is like purple toned. So like on the far right, it's a deep berry color, like a plum. Would you say? Yeah. And then a shimmer that's like a similar color. The third is a chunky glitter. And the fourth is like a light purple. Maybe all of the middle shades are glitter. And then... Yeah, but look at all the middle shades. All the middle shades are glitter. Oh, true. Okay. For any of those wondering, I'm fucking awful at explaining things. That's why my sister's helping me. The last one looks like rocks. Yeah, it kind of does. There's like a... Bluish, gray, gl- like glitter. It's a cool tone brown. It kind of looks like when there's brown. No, oh, I don't know why I said brown. I was gonna say that is not brown. Dark gray. It kind of looks like pavement when it's been raining. Oh, and that's more of like a silver kind of. The next one. It's like a slight gray glitter. Okay. I would say. And I don't even know what that color is. The third one. It's like a warm gray glitter. The only reason I know the colors is because of uh, my markers. These look like the same colors. They might be. They have different names, but yeah. So the fourth one is essentially like the the brownish one from the last palette. And then the last one in this palette is kind of a champagne. I like champagne, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, the packaging is beautiful on those. I was definitely thinking about getting those too, but now that I'm gonna get the Animal Crossing, I probably won't. We should just do a full makeup episode one of these weeks. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, thank you for listening. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at deadly underscore podcast. On Instagram at beautiful but deadly pod. You can email us at beautiful but be- nope beautiful but deadly podcast at gmail.com. Oh, yep, leave us a review if you feel so inclined. And thank you for listening. Thank Bye. you. Bye. <laughs> Did mom send me the thing about the, the, the like cat under the bed and people thinking it was a grandmother? <laughs> Excuse me? Want to read it out loud? Sure. My husband and I were dressed and ready to go out for a lovely evening of dinner and theater. Having been burgled the oh sorry, having been burgled in the past, we turned on a nightlight and then put the cat in the backyard. When our Uber arrived, we walked out our front door, and our other tubby cat scooted between our legs inside. Then ran up the stairs. Because our cat likes to chase our parakeet, we didn't want the, uh, to leave them unchaperoned. So my husband ran inside to retrieve her and put her in the backyard again. Because I didn't want the Uber driver to know our house was going to be empty all evening, I explained to him that my husband would be out momentarily as he was just bidding goodnight to my mother. A few minutes later, he got into the Uber, all hot and bothered, and said, to my growing horror and amusement, as the car pulled away, sorry, it took so long, the stupid bitch was hiding under the bed. (laughs) And I had to fuck her ass with a coat hanger to get get her to come out. She So I grabbed her by the neck and wrapped her blanket so she would scratch me like she did last time. But it worked. I hauled her fat ass downstairs and threw her to the backyard. She had put enough shit in the vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> the vegetable garden again. The sound from the Uber was deafening. <laughs> Stupid bitch was hiding under the bed and I had to poke her ass with a co-hanger.